0: listening to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire. On today's program, I want to take a a look at the world that we live in, the world that you live in, the world that I live in, both as individuals and collectively in in America and all across the world. So there are billions of people on planet Earth, and there are just 1% of, of that population Let's say the population of planet Earth is 7 billion people, which is basically what it is. 7 billion people. Now, 1% of the entire population of planet Earth, 7 billion people, just 1% of that total population figure owns all the wealth, all the money, all the power, all all the real estate, everything. They own and control absolutely everything, just 1% the rest of the 99% um, lives and is in one way or another, in most cases, dependent upon the whims, uh, what they like or what they don't like, of the the 1%. So, for many years, scientists have, um, especially with the astronauts, uh, allegedly going to the moon and back, uh, and taking pictures, and they took that famous picture of uh, planet Earth from what looks like uh, an exterior position and that would be the moon so the the concept is that at least from outer space or from the moon or at least significantly off the planet, we take a picture of the Earth from a distance, and that that popularized the whole concept of what uh the famous scientist and engineer buckminster fuller he labeled the term spaceship earth the idea was that earth is like a spaceship and you and i are are like passengers on this gigantic self uh, sustaining spaceship spaceship earth and and then it very uh, easily fed into the concept of globalism, and again the idea was and and this idea was was instilled in people uh this bombardment of the image of planet Earth and the concept that that the resources of planet earth are are running out quickly, and it's up to us the the pilots of spaceship Earth or the passengers of spaceship Earth or whatever. We have to to take care of planet Earth. We have to manage the resources, the food, the water, the atmosphere, because if we don't properly manage the resources, then we will have like a collective meltdown, a a mass catastrophic event. Because borrowed with Buckminster Fuller's concept was uh, the idea of a philosopher uh, named Malthou who proposed the idea that all of mankind, in the the 1800s, he proposed the idea that all of mankind, all of mankind's problems are due to one thing, and that is overpopulation or overpopulation growth. So he wrote essays on this. It, it, It swept the intellectual world, the world of economists and the super rich. And they all Uh, rallied behind this idea that all of the problems on planet Earth, wars, starvation, disease, epidemics, you name it, the root cause is overpopulation. And so that that thesis of uh, Malthus is known as Malthusian uh, principles based on the ideas of Malthus. Now, the problem is that assertion of Malthu that all of our problems are due to excessive population growth. That assertion it has been slammed home into the minds of people all over the world. And at, at best, it's mythological. In other words, it's not real. Um, it, it's not the real problem for mankind. Mankind's root problem, as Malthu asserted, is not uh overpopulation growth that is not our fundamental problem because if you look at planet earth if you just look out the window i remember somebody telling me this years before i even thought about this concept and uh this this person said you know if you think uh america has overpopulation he says you're crazy he said all you got to do is look out the window when you're on a jet going somewhere and most of you have done that. You've looked out the window uh, from a jet going somewhere. And the reality is that just in the United States alone, when you look out that window, most of the time, you're looking at land that has no buildings, no development. It's just raw land. It's, it's, there's no people. There's, no, there's nothing to, to say you've got excessive population growth. And there are in certain geographic areas. As you get close to a city or a large town, or like a, a mega city like Los Angeles or Southern California or New York City or whatever, uh, then of course you can see population and the, the the numbers of people and buildings and development begin to steadily increase as you fly closer to a major populated area or a city. And and then you could easily if that's all you were looking at you could easily come to the conclusion that there's too much population. But once you pass those those populated areas, once you pass those populated areas, you're basically looking at I've, I've flown all over the United States, everywhere. I mean, over the years of speaking and flying and conferences and everything else I have looked down on more mileage, more acreage, you know, and many of you have too. And and the overwhelming majority of the time, it's unpopulated land. It's just empty. It's either desert or high desert or it's forests or it could be ocean, a gigantic expanse of expanse of ocean like the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean. And even, you know, I remember going to Malaysia to speak, I was the speaker. At a major conference there in Kuala Lumpur a number of years ago, and I remember as we flew from I can't remember whether it was LAX or uh, the the giant airport in New York City I can't remember, but anyway, to get to Malaysia and Kuala Lumpur you we flew in the jet again I can't I apologize I can't remember the uh, whether it was the west coast or the east coast but in any case we flew towards. Malaysia. And uh, the way we went to Malaysia, we crossed over the ocean. So you, you saw nothing but ocean for hours and hours. And then you got near uh, places like Vietnam. And I'm looking down uh, at this gi- gigantic landmass, mainly green. And it's one of these, uh, you know, in, in the back seat uh, of the plane, every seat in the back, the back of it has a television screen and uh, monitor that will show you where you are on planet Earth with a white line of where you came from, where you're going, and, and where, where what you're flying over at this exact moment. So I'm looking out the window. I'm looking also at the computer screen, and I see that this giant landmass beneath me is Vietnam. Now, that alone just blew my mind. I had to think about it for a while because I grew up during the time of the Vietnam War, and that's all the news talked about. was the Vietnam War, how many soldiers were getting killed, et cetera, et cetera. So so the images, to me, of Vietnam were like wedded with images of of ravaging war. In any case, we got off the plane in Vietnam, and then we moved around the airport to to another uh, flight, and we boarded a flight from Vietnam to Malaysia. To whatever their international airport is called in Malaysia, and and you look down and you see again massive expanse of ocean. Uh, you can see Malaysia at, at a certain point, and it's a massive landmass, basically empty and unpopulated. And so the point is that anywhere you go on planet Earth, with the exception of cities, with the exception of developed regions, you basically have open unpopulated unused land so obviously that's not a scientific analysis but but it's a visual analysis and it tells you that all this talk of, of excessive population growth is somewhat suspicious in light of the fact that you don't really see the glaring evidence of the excessive population growth and so when I saw this, not when I went to Vietnam, because when, by the time I went to Vietnam, which was on the way to going to Malaysia, uh, my ministry had started. I had begun to speak in other nations, et cetera. So my ideas were accelerating, and simultaneously, my understanding of the world, society, uh, the, the global system, the national system, all of the Bible, all of that stuff, the the knowledge curve, in my mind was growing at a an accelerated rate of understanding, because I had been seeding my mind, which everybody should do. That's what it's just a different way of saying renewing your mind with the Word of God. I had been seeding my mind with the truth, and thinking and understanding com- concepts, etc. Since before I even went to public school. So at a certain point the inertia of what you learn begins to take on a life uh, of its own. And you suddenly begin to understand. You're, you're able to put pieces of what appears to be uh, some kind of abstract painting uh, puzzle pieces together into into a meaningful pic- picture form. And so your understanding, your, your concept, your consciousness, your comprehension, of of who you are where you are the nation you live in etc all of that should in every person's life begin to accelerate at a, at a young age now we live in a society where we have social engineers especially social engineers in all the major nations that are connected to think tanks and the the real centers of power not the Front men or front women of real power, but real power the the powers behind the throne, so I began to to think in an accelerated manner, and then I began to question the social engineering script that I'd been fed I, I began to and this should be a normative stage of development by the way. it should be a normative stage of development. That at a certain point in your life, young, you begin to understand or or, or develop the basic framework for understanding who you are in relationship to your nation, in relationship to the earth, in relationship to the stars, the universe, creation. You begin to understand that that there's a plan. Obviously, there's a plan and a purpose uh, behind what is called, at least in the Bible, the creation. And the very fact that there's a creation directly implies that there is a Creator, capital C, the Creator God, who created everything. And the everything that we live in is called his creation. Now, people who reject that I don't care if they're scientists or biologists or whatever they are; it's irrelevant. If you reject the basic premise of reality, which is explained perfectly in the Bible, if you reject that, you are rejecting the the basic concept, the basic meaning of why you're alive, and your your mind will. uh, There's a big buzzword in the last decade or so regarding the, the workings of your brain and whether or not your brain is malleable. In other words, is your brain shapeable? Is it still growing? Is it still creating new neurological pathways? And assuming your diet is proper and your exercise is proper, the healthy brain it's constantly growing and becoming smarter because it is developing new neurological pathways, which conduct the electrical impulses or neurons that enable you to think and conceive and reason, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So your brain has been programmed by the creator to uh, create new neurological pathways. And part of that process is the brain. your brain has to be flexible through your attitude, your will, your choices, there has to be a flexibility internally because that allows you to accept new or radical or different ideas that may have been true all the time but because of the programming you received during your educational process etc because of the programming you received you 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 erected a barrier between your mind and consciousness and what is really true in the reality all around you. So we have people who are scientists, biologists, the the people who are behind the uh, not the new world order, but but as I've said, the the this concept of a new global system, and and the people who are ruling the global system, the globalist elite, and they are creating an artificial reality or a synthetic reality based on their bias based on their prejudice, based on their distorted perceptions. And when you get down to the root of it, they are deliberately, the globalist elite are deliberately twisting and altering the truth, altering your perception and programming you and programming everybody else. If you want to cut to the chase and, and give us the simplest definition or the simplest consequence of this globalist revolution the simplest way to express it is to simply understand that it is their goal to enslave you that's not paranoia that's truth it's their goal to enslave you so that you so that they can be your masters so that you will slave and toil for them and in order to do that they have to conquer you and they discovered hundreds of years ago beginning in ancient super civilizations they discovered that the fastest way to conquer a human being is to first conquer their minds or their thought life or their brain if you can take control of a person's brain or mind or consciousness then enslaving them is nothing it's no big deal it's a snap of the fingers because once you conquer a person's mind They will acquiesce. They will enthusiastically follow the program that has been laid out for them. And so the globalist elite um, have spent trillions of dollars over thousands of years developing these systems of control. And in some cases, the systems of control are political, religious, spiritual, so-called scientific, Biological, like the manipulation of food and resources and water, uh, pretending to protect you, when in reality they're enslaving you. And so concepts like the concept that Buckminster Fuller developed, the concept of um, spaceship Earth, these are very useful ideas because it's very easy to train the human mind to think along particular set pathways. Once you have embedded the human mind with ideas, concepts, belief systems, which are not even necessarily true, but they serve a purpose for the hidden rulers of the world. And the purpose is their goal is to enslave mankind. So the best way to enslave mankind is to make man a slave in his or her brain and instill or program in their minds all kinds of ideas and belief systems, and so that people just automatically do, function, behave as they have been programmed to. And so this, this concept of spaceship Earth is it's like a transferable concept. You embed that in the human mind, primarily through media, mass media, and the educational system, and movies, and and things like that famous photograph of planet Earth. From you know somewhere in space, and you're what you're doing is you're selling big time. You're selling the masses. You're selling Americans. You're selling people on this philosophy of globalism and how you know overpopulation is our biggest problem, and that we need to manage our planet. We need to make sure that we keep planet Earth sustainable. In other words, that we can sustain a certain quality of living. Beginning. On a scale beginning with survival, and then moving into you know hopefully being comfortable or whatever, and so these ideas are essential in order to seed mass human consciousness with these ideas that that people fixate on, they latch onto, and and they they travel in cultures, they travel via the media and entertainment media and news media et cetera and so then you have these gigantic globalist organizations like the United Nations and UNESCO and the World Health Organization WHO all of these globalist organizations secretly financed by the globalist elite and the trillionaire billionaire class the 1% that rules the world they finance the promotion and marketing and selling of these concepts and ideas to the masses because it is this way They can create what Alice Huxley, uh, a prominent globalist, and his brother, Julian Huxley, the the first official humanist and the first official transhumanist, the Huxley brothers, were one of Great Britain's highest-level elite globalist families, and they developed many ideas that are common today, many belief systems that are common today. They created and they spread these ideas through media, and music, and culture, and news, et cetera. And of course, Brave New World is an example of that by Aldous Huxley. And Julian Huxley, head of the educational, the worldwide educational system, that's headed up by UNESCO of the United Nations. Julian Huxley was a huge promoter of humanism and transhumanism, but Julian Huxley also uh, promoted aggressively this globalist, one-world concept. And he made sure that the masses uh, believe this, because this is the way that, that what Aldous Huxley called the scientific elite, or what Huxley also called the scientific dictatorship. And the whole concept that, that the Huxleys and others developed was one of creating an efficient scientific dictatorship where you would create a dictatorship, not, you know, out in the open. You would covertly create a dictatorship by utilizing various futuristic technologies, scientific uh, techniques, psychological, psychiatric techniques for controlling the human mind and human behavior. And thus, you end up controlling the world and all the people in the world. Through highly sophisticated and advanced forms of scientific mind control or brainwashing, and that takes us right to where we are right now at this minute, no matter what's going on externally on planet Earth in terms of the news or whatever. The basic program is still operational, and that is there there is an existing globalist elite that are creating a world government right in front of our eyes, which implies they will be the controllers of this one world government, or formerly it was called the New World Order. And this one world government will consist of a one world government, a one world religion, and a one world economic system. And the Bible, interestingly enough, warns us about this in all over the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, but especially in The book of Revelation, where it talks about this global system. And then it gets into the technology and the biology of this global system. And this global system, we are looking at it unroll at high speed right in front of our eyes, right now on planet Earth. So we live in a time that is more remarkable, that is more mind blowing than any other time in the history of the world. We live in a time unlike any other time in human history. And we're gonna explain in a moment why it's essential that you understand that, the foundation of that, and its implications. What does that mean to you? And most people never think about this. And if you never think about the question, what does this mean to you, you are destined to become a slave and enter some kind of slave system. It's inevitable. Because if you cannot control your own life or manage your own life, then you will be totally incapable of protecting your freedom, recognizing the threats to your freedom, and we're going to explain how the Bible equips mankind, equips you, equips me, with the truth. And the truth is the most valuable commodity on planet Earth. But there's so there's so little truth in planet Earth or on planet Earth. So you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. Be sure to visit PaulMaguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. And we'll be back in just a moment. This is the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. We're talking about the global system. Who invented the global system? What its purpose is? And the fact that the global system is beginning to accelerate at a very high speed, specifically in our lifetime, in our generation, and it's important to understand that, and to understand what the result of that and the and the consequences of that is is, is going to be all about. Okay, now, um, in my book, the day the dollar died which deals with the coming cashless society and a one-world economic system and a one-world government. Um, I I write about a world effectively controlled by the United Nations, and I talk about the utopian dreams of the Fabian socialists like Bertrand Russell and uh, Julian Huxley and Althus Huxley. They, They, among other intellectuals, were members of the Fabian socialists. And a one world government ruled by an elite um, started to become a reality with the Fabian socialists, who had a secret plan that began, that that had its roots going back thousands of years to ancient Babylon. They had a secret plan to create a one world government, a one world system. And the point is that many of the most um, aggressive one-world government-type people, many of them were science fiction authors. Many of them were also thinkers. Many were both best-selling authors of uh, novels, science fiction, as well as best-selling books on science, biology, uh, the theory of evolution, etc. But it's amazing how a, a nation, a society, can often be led by whoever by whoever rises to the occasion and whoever chooses to assume the role or the roles of of what could be called visionaries or people with vision, ideas or concepts about what the world should be like and what the future should be like. Now, it should be be noted that that doesn't mean that their vision or their ideas or their concepts are necessarily good or beneficial. Or will actually help anyone. In fact, many of the people who rose to the occasion to be visionaries and enforce their vision on the rest of the world ended up enslaving mankind in unspeakable and horrific ways. And we have to remember that. The Bible says, without a vision, the people perish. Now, this is a vitally important truth in the Bible, but most Christians, and most people just trip right over a phrase like that. Without a vision, the people perish. The, 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 the teaching from the Lord in that verse is simply this, that if the people, and specifically God's people, if the people do not have a, a trusted, good vision based on the laws of God and, and the truth of God's Word, If the people don't have a vision, a concept, an idea, a plan for the future, then what will inevitably happen, the Lord is telling us, is that you and I and the people will perish. In other words, if we do not have a a good vision for our future, we will implode, we will be destroyed, we will uh, devolve, we will uh, be consumed by evil forces and it's inevitable. So without a vision the people perish which means of course they're destroyed they're ravaged by the wolves. Now ideas have consequences. Good ideas have good consequences, bad ideas have bad consequences. Very simple. That's from Dr. Francis Schaeffer. So in our society we have a fundamental failure and I'm talking about the American society and the failure that that crept into our American way of thinking um, very early on, after the American Revolution. Initially, the Christians who changed America and ended up changing the world were strong Bible-believing Christians, and they were the Pilgrims and Puritans. And they instilled a strong biblical vision for the future of America and the future of the world and the future of the American people. And the vision that they instilled, they were able to do that because they were extremely knowledgeable about the Bible and they were extremely knowledgeable about things like science and biology and chemistry and philosophy and science and all kinds of fields of study. And they were able to merge their deep understanding of all these different fields of knowledge and study, they were able to merge them under the direction of a biblical worldview and bless our nation and bless the world with a system of government that was largely based on a biblical worldview, a biblical vision. Now, what happened, and I explain this in, in sequence in my books like The Greatest Battle, uh, power from on high, and the day the dollar. Died. What happened sequentially was that the Pilgrims and Puritans, and their the purity of their ideas, based on the Bible, strengthened our nation and gave our nation a powerful vision. But what happened was that vision, the clarity of the vision, the the, the purpose of the vision, the vision is is designed by God to to visually in your mind's eye, your imagination, your consciousness. It's, it, vision is an enabler. It's a, it's a, it's a psychological—it's not sinful to use your imagination. It's sinful to use your imagination for evil purposes. Having an imagination and using your imagination is given to us by God within God's framework as a psychological tool by which we can create the very thing that we envision. And this works like if you're an athlete. Athletes, Now I remember many years ago when I was coming out with one of my first books, uh, my publisher arranged for me to have a debate with uh, a guy who was in heaven now, Dave Hunt, who was a best-selling author. And uh, he had many things to say that were very valid and very true. But Dave Hunt, in his books, he, he, a number of themes he focused in on, and one was the the destruction of true Christianity by replacing it with New Age and occultic and humanist ideas. And he warned of it, and he he he, he was right on in many ways. So I was at the National Religious Broadcasting Convention. I don't remember where it was held that year, but in any, in any case, my publisher arranged a time for me to. Debate him uh, live there at the National Religious Broadcasting Convention, and the, the debate that I would have with Dave Hunt would also be broadcast live across the nation. So it attracted a, a, a tremendous amount of attention at the at the uh, National Religious Broadcasting Convention, as well as the people listening by radio, because Dave Hunt was a very well known author. Uh, uh, his books were controversial but he definitely had something to say and i was just you know an unknown uh, beginning my ministry and uh i remember sitting down in the uh broadcast booth with the, next to the microphones this was years and years before i i had even the most remote conception in the world that one day i would be a f- professional radio talk show host and then a podcaster and, and television and all. i didn't even i didn't even have the faintest clue uh, as to what God had in store for me when it came to those matters. I mean, I didn't have any clue at all. You say, well, you just contradict yourself because you just said the Bible says without vision the people perish. Well, that's still true. Um, So part of the debate was, uh, focused on the fact that Dave Hunt, uh, essentially, left open the idea that that over, overusing your your human imagination can be a a an occultic or eastern mystical or even a humanist seduction from true authentic uh, biblical truth and he was correct and right in warning the the Christian culture of the the, the creeping intrusion of Eastern mystical thought, uh, humanistic thought, psychological thought, occultic thought that was creeping its way into the church and replacing the Word of God, trust in the biblical God, praying to God and and a kind of, the seduction went something like this: that Christians were being like spiritually deceived because they were absorbing or soaking up like a sponge, all of these New Age occultic false doctrines and false teachings. So in any case, I went into the booth to to debate him, at that time not having even the most remote idea that I would ever be a professional radio talk show host, etc. So the first thing, Dave Hunt was somewhat surprised by me because, I mean, he didn't know who I was. Uh... But I didn't fit into the, the the little convenient categories or the little boxes uh, that most people fit in. In other words, I didn't come off like an archetypical anything. You couldn't just listen to me and and easily quantify me or categorize me into this little box or that little box. And it, it was uh, Dave. You know, I'm not trying to compliment myself. I'm not trying to compliment myself by going in reverse here, so I apologize for the awkwardness, but I just want to get to the point, and that is, it was obvious from talking to me that Dave recognized that I wasn't your typical, you know, dumbed-down, evangelical, I don't know anything about anything, and I'm proud of it, Christian. Okay? It was obvious from talking to me that, you know, that, that I was a reader, a thinker, uh, that I had studied the Bible, that I put the Bible as, as my final authority. So so he, he, I could sense that he was had to adjust himself as he was debating me because he had to reframe that's, and that could be categorized as a New Age word, but I'm not in the New Age. He could have easily made the mistake of categorizing me as your stereotypical Christian with stereotypical absorption of humanistic, or Eastern mystical ideas, which I was not at that time, and I am not now. But I I didn't—so um, he had to listen to my argument, because whether he agreed with it or not, I considered it a valid argument and a valid distinction. I did then when I was debating Dave Hunt, and I, I still do today, because— what he was implying in his books and, and what he said on the radio was that the use of the imagination or having a vision was somehow non-biblical and an example of apostasy. Now, there's no question that in many cases, what Dave Hunt was asserting is the case. It's true. It it, it has, for many Christians and many Christian churches, drifted them theologically into the area of apostasy and false teaching. There's no question about it. However, and this is a point I made in my book back then, and it's also what I said to Dave in the radio studio, I said, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can't completely reject all forms of using your imagination or having a vision, etc., as, as sinful or false doctrine." And and I immediately went to the the example of sports, and said quite simply, you know, every professional athlete who is successful. Um, when they play whatever sport they're playing, inevitably, when you hear about their training, in addition to their physical athletic training, they they put themselves or their coach puts them through a kind of mental training, and in that mental training, inevitably. They envision themselves winning, or throwing the ball through the hoop from such and such a distance, or or you know whatever sport it is—football, baseball, basketball, hockey, whatever sport it is—they they, they see themselves physically and psychologically executing whatever the the physical task is on a on a winning level, a superior level. They don't sit around and envision themselves physically failing or mentally failing. In other words, they're using their God-given will. And this is not magic, it's not occultism. They're not and this is where we have to be precise, because this is not like the secret, you know, the Oprah Winfrey and all those people are into. Where you, you envision things and you think that magically those things are going to appear in your life simply because you envision them. That's not what I'm talking about. That would be an example of Eastern mysticism or the occults, where you're trying to use your mind to create a vision, which is it's like a form of sorcery or magic to bring money or power or wealth or whatever to you. You're not talking about that. And so you have to make a dis- distinction, and this is what I was telling Dave in the radio. Uh, broadcast booth. So, So it's not just we reject vision and imagination and just throw it away because it does have the potential of being seriously misused and can be occultic. But that's not the answer to just blindly throw it away. You have to deal with the Word of God with precision. We have to rightly divide the Word of God. Rightly divide the Word of God means we have to, with correct precision, interpret exactly what God is saying in the proper context whenever we read the Word of God. And so the, the goal is to stay true to the Word of God and to adhere to to closely to the principles of the Word of God. Now, the, the purpose in doing that is that you 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 can have a vision given to you from the Lord, but there's a difference between visions and fantasies and made-up ideas and made-up belief systems and occult created concepts that are designed to quote magically give you whatever you're trying to get. There's a there's a massive difference between that and true biblical vision or a vision. And we have to remember, there are a lot of people who call themselves prophets and claim to have had visions. But the problem with that is that inevitably, uh, a vision, if it is truly from God, and somebody really is a prophet, you, you can't be going around giving out false visions or, or, or false ideas. That's, that's, in the Bible, a prophet had to be 100% accurate. And if he was inaccurate in any one of his visions or prophecies, then uh, he was to be dismissed and punished as a false prophet. So, again, we rightly divide the Word of God. It's a matter of being precise. Now, we have a, a massive challenge before us because Within the body of Christ or those that call themselves Bible-believing Christians, there are two two primary dangers. One is drifting away from the truth and getting into the area of false truths. And the other is um, not having a vision. Without vision, the people perish. Not having a goal, not having a dream, not a dream as like necessarily like a supernatural dream. A dream in the sense of a concept, a clear picture of, of where you're trying to lead or go with the nation, with yourself as an individual. Because the ultimate thing is, without vision, the people perish. They're destroyed. And what is happening in America and the world right now is that it's, it's on the fast track to destruction. And America is on the fast track of destruction. And that's for many reasons. And in a moment, I'm going to uh, explain to you what, what are some of the reasons that are creating catastrophic destruction in our society and in our world. And our responsibility, our obligation, in light of the fact that that our nation and our world is in a destruction mode, You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. Be sure to visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us, and we'll be back in just a moment. You are listening to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire. So, again, there is a difference between a generalized mythological, occultic, humanistic, Eastern mystical type of vision versus a precise biblical definition of the word vision used in the Bible. For example, the Bible says, without a vision, the people perish. So destruction in your own personal life and other people's lives in in a nation, on a planet, is essentially guaranteed if you do not have an authentic vision plan for the future, and one that is congruent with the Word of God. So, the Christian culture, theologically, this came after the the intense influence of the Pilgrims and Puritans, it came after the First Great Awakening, and it came after the Second Great Awakening, uh, where, where God moved mightily in miraculous ways and And countless numbers of people were saved. So after the Second Great Awakening, there there began to enter into the soil of American ideas and beliefs and thinking and thoughts, uh, the eroding powers of humanism, occultism, uh, Eastern mysticism, etc., where instead of worshiping the true biblical God and being in prayer to the true biblical God, uh, Christians, especially, but the culture itself began to drift into a Eastern mystical humanistic pagan uh, occultic type of belief system and so when that belief system began to influence people in America, especially, it began to powerfully erode and thus destroy the original God-given vision for America and America's future, given to us by the strong Bible-believing Christians and pilgrims. So, we gradually entered into a new kind of an America, a new kind of world where the the Word of God, with its warning, without a vision, the people perish, is, is now happening and has been happening for quite some time right before our eyes. So we have been drifting massively as our culture through the educational system and media and all kinds of things. We have been drifting further and further away from God, the truth of God's word, and walking in an authentic biblical vision for our lives and and nation. That's our root problem. That's our core problem. Without a vision, the people perish. So we are—we have been in a highly destructive mode, where people and our nation have been perishing for a long time, incrementally, bit by bit. You know, not necessarily all at once in one dramatic explosion, but an incremental destruction that—that that was so gradual that tragically, the overwhelming majority of Christians didn't see it happening even though it was happening right in front of their eyes. And so, bible believing evangelical Christians up till this very moment, and tragically to say, as the crisis continues both nationally and internationally, as the crisis continues to explode and accelerate, and we we are entering the point of no return, we have never had the need for an authentic biblical vision for our nation, for our lives, for our culture. We have never needed an authentic biblical vision more than ever before. So this is the most pivotal time in human history because we are approaching. And 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 thinkers, biblical thinkers and secular thinkers, many of them agree on this, this point. And the point is that we are approaching the point of no return, the point where we cannot undo the consequences that we've sown into, so to speak. And so the question that, that should be asked, if you say you love God, that's great, but but if you love God, then you will love his people, you will love one another, like like Christ loved the church. And if you love someone, you're going to do everything you can to take care of them, to minister to them, to meet their needs, to guide them. Love is not just, you know, romance. True Christ-like love is serving other people. It's giving. It's sacrificing for uh, agape, spiritual or Christ-like love. And the the fact of the deterioration and degradation of our culture is simply that it is a direct consequence of what happens when a once Bible-believing nation, founded by Bible-believing Pilgrims and Puritans, began to drift away from the practice. And belief of biblical truth. The consequence for that deadly mistake is what you and I are looking at right now in terms of the self destruction of America and the rest of the world. So the question is Bible prophecy obviously has to be true because Bible prophecy that's derived and interpreted correctly from the Word of God in in books like the book of Revelation, but from Genesis to Revelation we see over and over again God's plan for the ages, God's plan for all eternity, the purpose of reality, the purpose of life, the, the, the access to power and wisdom that God has for his people. All of these things are realities that are potentially available to us if we will not commit an unpardonable sin, which is unbelief. Unbelief in God's Word, specifically. Unbelief in God's Word, or rejecting God's Word. Unbelief in God's Word can cause you not to be saved and enter into eternity and heaven. Because the only way you can enter into eternity and heaven is to put your faith, to put your trust, to put your belief in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross— and believe that Jesus Christ has cleansed you of all of your sins through his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, if you believe in it, if you put your faith in that. But you have to believe in it, and you have to put your faith in it, in order for for the fullness of that truth to become real in your life. Just knowing about it intellectually isn't enough. So, Clearly, the Bible emphasizes Bible prophecy, and we we read it. And when we read the book of Revelation, it it becomes blatantly apparent that we are right now in the last days. So the question that every believer in Christ has to ask themselves, and churches and pastors included, is, is quite simply, what is my purpose? What is my destiny? What is my mission? What is God calling me to do right now? And do you have, as a consequence of of what the Lord gives you in a personal relationship with him and his word, do you have a biblical vision of what your mission, of what your purpose, of what you're called to do is? Do you have a clear biblical vision regarding what he is calling you and the body of Christ to do? and if you don't do you recognize if you don't do you recognize that you have placed yourself your family your nation your relatives etc cetera, etc cetera, you have placed all of them including yourself in mortal danger in imminent danger in irreversible danger if you have not communed with the lord jesus christ biblically and if you have not allowed the lord to speak to you and shape your thoughts and ideas you know a vision, a clear picture from the Lord. It doesn't have to be something out of a Marvel comic book, for crying out loud. It's not Batman. It's not Supergirl or whatever, or Ant-Man or something ridiculous like like that. I mean, I I like science fiction movies. I I don't like most of what I see today. But, I mean, I wouldn't waste my time. I'm just the name of the movie, Ant-Man. That's such a turnoff to me, like from a marketing standpoint. Why on earth would I waste my time? Watching a, a a superhero whose name is Ant-Man, I wouldn't. I don't. It doesn't. I mean, it, it repulses me. What idiot in the marketing department of whatever, maybe it's Marvel Studios. I don't know. But Ant-Man, no, I'm not into Ant-Man. Yet that is the. It, I meant to be satirical and, and vent when I said what I just said, but I realized that as I was saying it, I was also clearly defining what could be called a, a loss, the reality of a loss of biblical vision among Christians, biblical Christians, the loss of the reality of a biblical vision from Christians. When that happens, you, your mind shrinks. You, you begin to think like you are an ant-man or ant-woman. The, the, the power and, and uh, of your thoughts and your ideas, they also shrink because you begin to think thoughts that are in alignment with the kind of thoughts that Ant-Man would think or Ant-Woman would think. And so your ideas, your thoughts, your beliefs, your vision are all reduced to a pathetic Ant-Man size. Now, what I'm saying in somewhat an awkward manner, what I'm saying is we're in in a very serious problem here. If the supernatural body of Christ, which simply means all true Bible-believing Christians who are authentically born again by the Spirit of God and are guaranteed entrance into heaven and eternal life by faith in Christ, by faith in Christ alone, if that supernatural body of Christ has allowed itself to become so degraded that they have, in effect, been shrinking You know, there was a movie or something a long time ago, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I didn't mean to get on this, but it keeps popping into my mind, so I'm going to play with it. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was a movie or something. That was another dumb movie that that I wouldn't have any interest at all in seeing. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and it had to do with some sci-fi technology, which which enabled, I guess, one of the parents to literally physically shrink their children. What a bore. I'm not interested in that. You see, if that is the if that is what you think about all day long, if the level of your thinking and the level of your reasoning and the level of your perception and the level by which you use your mind is all if you if you're spending uh, all of your time in a zone of flatlining with your thinking and your vision and you're not thinking biblically your perception doesn't come from a biblical worldview, then guess what happens? What happens to you, and and, and and tragically, with a broken heart, tragically with a broken heart, I would say to you, honey, I shrunk the kids. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but that's, that's the consequence of allowing your mind to shrink when you're supposed to be growing your mind according to the Word of God and the ideas of God's Word. It should never be, honey, I shrunk the kids. You, you you shouldn't be thinking like Ant-Man or Ant-Woman. Of course, I'm being satirical here, but but the truth is irreversible. Our nation was once the mightiest nation on earth, and our nation right now is like a tire with a with a gash in it, and and the air is rushing out of it. It's our nation, America, is deflating. It's in, you take any category, whether it's commerce, manufacturing. There's certain areas where we're still Roaring like in technology, computers, AI, and stuff, we're still roaring. But in many, many areas where we used to be the dominant force on planet Earth, guess what? It's honey, I shrunk the kids' time. We have people who are leading us that think ant man and ant woman thoughts 24 7. We have a Christian culture that literally encourages believers in Christ not to think. And if they do think, this this ant man, ant woman, Christian culture encourages Christians to think on the level of an ant man or an ant woman—tiny, minuscule, inferior, pathetic, weak, deflating thoughts and ideas that are absent of any power. Now that's key because without uh, sufficient power to accomplish the task. Or, goal or vision that God has called you to do, you're going nowhere fast. You're going nowhere fast. So, the only thing you can do really is to obey the word of the Lord and remember what Jesus Christ told his disciples before he ascended into heaven. He said, You need to go to Jerusalem and stay in Jerusalem and wait upon the Lord and tarry in Jerusalem until the Father clothes you with power from on high. So basically, Jesus Christ was saying, you don't have the power to accomplish what God is calling you to do. So before you get out there and try to win the world for Jesus Christ, Jesus said, you need to go to Jerusalem, where it all began, and, and tarry in Jerusalem, waiting on, on God, and asking God to fill you with Biblical power from on high, or to clothe you with power from on high. And that word, again, power from on high, comes from the word dunamis, which comes from the word dynamite or explosive force or power. That's why my last book, I titled the book Power from on High. So we need the knowledge and the wisdom and the vision, but it has to be connected to biblical, authentic biblical power from on high. Then you have the inertia. The power, the force to to break the death cycle, if you will. And then you have the power to conquer your spiritual enemies, which are first and foremost. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that, that the fight we're in, the battle we're in, is first and foremost, we are not fighting against human beings and human organizations. Our fight is against principalities and powers and the dark unseen forces of wickedness in heavenly places. For the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, satanically energized false ideas, strongholds. For the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So the strongholds equate to Ant-Man or Ant-Woman thinking, mindset. It's an impotent mindset that produces no results. We're in a disaster time. Obviously, I mean, turn the lights on in your brain with a little switch and, and recognize that God is calling you. He called you before the foundation of the world to be here for such a time as this. God is calling you. He's instilling a vision, a purpose, a destiny, a mission in your life and mind. And God is not oblivious or indifferent. To the suffering and the disaster that awaits us, God is not, you know, blasé about this stuff. He's he's intensely, intensely concerned, and that's why He's given us the power and the wisdom from God to to make the necessary changes that, in effect, don't violate the major precepts of Bible prophecy. So this verse I use because it's applicable to, to right now. We are called by Jesus Christ to occupy until he comes until Christ returns were to occupy the land were to occupy or rule over the nation the spiritual dimension not not as you know some theocratic dynasty but spiritually using our authority in Christ and the word of God and the power of God's word were to rule and reign over the evil forces the the serpent and the fallen angels and the demons, were to be ruling over them on a national level and a global level. But the only way that this can happen is we have to feed on the Word of God, and we have to absorb the power of the Spirit. To the degree that we choose to be faithful to, to, to those commissions is to the degree that we will see a powerful supernatural transformation for good In America and in the world, to whatever degree the sovereign Lord, God Almighty, will allow it. And so that is our commission. You and I need to be faithful. And so I ask you to join with me, Paul McGuire Ministries and Paradise Mountain Church. I ask you to join with me in obeying Jesus Christ and occupying the land until he comes. I ask you to join with me by asking the Lord in prayer, Lord, What would you have me give or donate or contribute uh, to to the ministry of Paul McGuire Ministries and Paradise Mountain Church? What would you have me give, Lord? And then simply obey the Lord in whatever he tells you to do. And then make sure you obey the Lord and become a prayer warrior for us and those associated with this ministry. And praying for me and the people associated with the ministry, as well as praying for us for victory in the mission that the Lord has called us to. And then finally, to stand with us in the spiritual battle through prayer and fasting and stand with us in the spiritual battle through um, doing what you can practically in the physical realm to, to help us, such as uh, breaking the rigging system and other systems that are organized and and programmed to defeat or overturn a biblical worldview in our nation, in our world. We can't allow that to happen. We can't allow that to happen. And I believe the Lord is speaking to you, me, and many people. It doesn't have to be some big, gigantic phantasmagoria, you know, like like fireworks in the sky. It can be an idea. It can be a, a set of ideas. It, you know, God can express himself through his word any way he chooses, as long as it doesn't conflict with the Word of God. I ask you in the last days, which clearly we're in, to join with me as we occupy until it comes. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's Paulmaguire.us.